Welcome to Johnston River of Life. We're starting this new sermon series, um, Soul Food, and we're talking about our spiritual formation, spiritual development during this Lenten season. And today we're talking about prayer, contemplation, how we grow deeper in our relationship with God. Um, and I'm going to piggyback right off of where Erica went with his children's sermon because, I don't know, have you guys all experienced something you just didn't like to do or you didn't find value in doing or didn't want to do? Um, for me, I, I think fifth grade, I was convinced that long division was absolutely useless. Anybody else? Yeah, okay. Long division, useless. And um, I just couldn't get it. Actually, that's what it was. I couldn't get it. I didn't understand it. And I remember I came in one particular day with I had no homework done. I just couldn't do it. Um, and maybe back then, if they'd been able to diagnose for ADD kind of like attention, I didn't have much of attention. I just kind of bounced all over the place. Maybe that was part of it. But I do know that I got punished because I didn't do my homework. Because I remember all of the other students got to go out for recess. The teacher left the room, and I had to sit there until I finished it. But I was sitting there with my hand, my head in my hands, staring at this page, wondering, what am I supposed to do? I don't even know how to do it. This is pointless. I'm not even going to try. It was then that a uh, janitor came in and was going through and replaced a couple lights. And he kind of looked down at me, and I remember he, he looked down and says, why aren't you outside for recess? And I said, I've got to finish my homework. Well, he said, are you okay? I said, well, I don't know how to do it. He sat down with me, and in that short period of time, he sat down and helped me understand how to do long division. It was a janitor that taught me how to do long division, not my teacher, because my teacher didn't take the time to sit down with me and do that. But I'll tell you what, since that day, I think I use division pretty much every day. Anybody else? I, I began to realize, oh, you know what, division is kind of important. I needed to learn this. Now, maybe long division, maybe not. I'm still being convinced about that one. But understanding it so that I could actually process it and, and know the long division, I understand why it's important now. You know, there's some things as a kid you just don't understand the importance of or you're not that excited about. Um, prayer. Anybody, were you really excited about prayer? Okay, that's a fair answer. Um, I know that I prayed. I was taught to pray, you know, prayer at bedtime, prayer at mealtime. But I have to admit, as a kid and as a boy, I was, like, not focused. You can imagine me kind of being a little bit jumpy and jittery all over the place. Um, okay, not praying, really focused. Anybody else have a problem focusing during prayer? Okay, I'm going to touch on that one a little bit later here. Uh, I didn't have the focus. I didn't have the patience. I didn't have the time for it. And I just saw it as a waste of time or an obligation and kind of like muttering into empty air. Anybody else? Yeah, but I have learned through experience and practice, through time in my relationship with God, that prayer is valuable. William Law says this about prayer. Prayer is the rising of the soul out of the vanity of time into the riches of eternity. I don't know about you, but that's, that's kind of an exciting phrase. Have you ever experienced that when you pray? That your soul has risen out of the vanity of time and into the riches of eternity. I can say I've experienced that a couple times. 
I understand what he's talking about. But only because I got past my childhood experience and the things that limited me or things that scared me or the things that I didn't think I could do. Um, St. Augustine says that true, whole prayer is nothing but experiencing the full love of God. John Bailey, who wrote the prayer that we read this morning as our opening prayer, he emphasizes that prayer is an utter dependence upon God's tender love and mercy. But prayer for me was something I didn't get, didn't understand, couldn't do as a kid. And honestly, even as an adult, it took me a long time to grow into it. How many of you as a kid, um, for me, when I took that first bite out of a tomato slice as a kid? Yuck. Anybody else as a kid not like tomatoes? Okay, and those of you who didn't like tomatoes as a kid, you like them now? Some do. Oh, most do. Nope, some don't. <laughs> tomato was something I had to grow into. You know, my, my dad loved sun tea. And, you know, in the middle of the summer, July, they're setting this jar of sun tea out and letting it kind of turn color. And then we'd turn, bring it in, and we'd take a drink of this sun tea. And I remember the first time I had sun tea, and I went, Ugh! anybody else? But I love sun tea now. How about coffee? First time you ever had coffee, really dark coffee, did you love it? But do you like it now? Uh-huh. <laughs> Unless you put a lot of creamer and otherwise in it. I, I could go on with this list. The first time I had a, a really dark red Cabernet, mm. or uh, for those of you who drink this Scotch whiskey like Laphroaig, this stuff that tastes like you're licking the dirt, um, first time I tried that, nope, don't like that. It's changed. Uh, we need to experience things to grow into things, don't we? Our life grows and matures when we take time in spaces that maybe we found difficult to begin with. And I believe that only, only through time and experience and a practice of variety of prayers do we begin to understand the value of prayer. Or do we begin to experience this thing that William Law said about prayer rising us out of the soul, uh, the, the vanity of time into the riches of eternity? If you've never experienced that, I promise you will love it when you get there. One of the things that I did in preparing for today's sermon is I thought back through, what's my own prayer experience? Because I know that I didn't start by loving prayer. I, I didn't start by finding the right space and how it all worked really well. No, in fact, um, in my spiritual um, intensive class that I've taught in the past, I invite people to write their own spiritual autobiography and remember what their story was. One of the things that you could think back through is, what was, what's your story of prayer? My first experience of prayer, other than, um, other than you know, mealtime, bedtime, I remember first grade Sunday school class, and I remember, I think it was even Mrs. Anderson. I didn't say that at Hopkins Grove, but I remember my Sunday school teacher from first grade. Teachers, you should know how important you are. I remember sitting there, and she said, okay, we're going to pray now. Everybody, hold your hands. And it was, the example was folding your hands and holding them tight like this. Anybody learn to pray like this? And it was like all of a sudden my whole body did this, and then my elbows come in, and it was tight. And she said, okay, now bow your heads, close your eyes, and then be quiet because I'm going to pray. Okay, so I was told that you'd fold your hands tight, squeeze, and close your eyes tight, and bow your heads, and then you'd be, somebody else can pray. 
That was my first experience of prayer. That's what I thought prayer really was. And I did, that's how I prayed a lot. When you get to, to church and the pastor would pray, I'd have to go like this really quick. In middle school, I went to camp. And at camp, I experienced prayer different. I was this middle school kid, and there were college helpers that were there, and, and we had just come out of worship service, and everything was uh, just very spiritual, and we had time to pray, and they were getting us together in groups or with a partner. And I remember sitting down to pray, and instead of clasped hands, the, the college leader said, let's pray. And then they reached out their hands and grabbed my hands. We were sitting knee to knee, and then we grabbed hands, bowed our heads kind of close to each other, and, and, and we started praying. She prayed, and then I prayed, and then she prayed, and then I prayed. We're praying for something specific, something that was going on in my life, and, and we just kept praying, and it was this conversation, and all of a sudden it was just like, that was the first time that I experienced this moment of what I would call Holy Ghost moment, where Holy Spirit movement, where my whole body had chills and, and goosebumps. Experience the Holy Spirit just move, and I remember the answered prayer that came out of that. All of a sudden I realized, oh, prayer doesn't, Prayer doesn't have to look like this. Prayer could be something different. Oh. I, I remember on a mission trip, my first mission trip to Mexico, and we were with a full-time missionary who lived down there, and um, we were, I was down there for eight weeks, and one of the first trips that we got on, we, we were headed somewhere to do a vacation Bible school and bring in like 200 kids for vacation Bible school in this neighborhood. And I remember he said, okay, everybody, pack in the van. And I was like, really? This is a 15-passenger van, except we were fitting 25 of us in the van. And so I had somebody on my lap, and somebody squeezed this, and so it was like everybody's crammed in. And then he starts driving, and we're on these crazy streets in Mexico City, and, and all of a sudden says, okay, everybody, bow your heads, we're going to pray. And I'm like, don't you dare close your eyes. <laughs> this is the first time I realized you, could pray, you can pray with your eyes open. I, I, I didn't even think that that was possible before. And I watched him as he prayed with his eyes open, driving down the road, and his hands aren't class. They aren't holding anybody else. They're driving, just doing common everyday stuff. His eyes are open, and he's praying, and he's praying with all of us. It's like, wow, this is totally, I didn't know I could pray that way. I remember prayer after I got a phone call. I was singing in a concert at, I was still in high school, I was 17. I was at Iowa State. I got the phone call that my dad passed away, and I just remember falling down in that hallway in a prayer of lament. A prayer that did not end for months and still hasn't. A prayer that has followed me to the silence of my bedroom, out into the woods, watching the sunrise or the sunset. A deep brokenness that I know God meets me there every time. That God is literally waiting for me there. I remember prayers, praying for six years for children because Jody and I weren't sure that it was possible. And even through miscarriage, praying and knowing that in the brokenness or the, the longing of a parent, God meets us there. I remember one prayer experience where I was in a, in a sanctuary 
with a youth, another youth pastor. I didn't know him really well, but we had agreed to meet, and we started praying, and we were just walking around the sanctuary in different spaces and kind of speaking out loud and hearing each other's voices, and he'd pray about something in his life, and I'd pray in my life, and then we'd pray about something in the community and something in the church, and it just kind of kept going. It was this conversation that God was, God was in the midst of the conversation, and I remember leaving, walking out of that, that prayer room, that sanctuary space, and thinking, wow, that was, a, that was a great half an hour. And then I looked at the clock and been over two hours. I got lost in the sacredness of the moment of the conversation with God. I've experienced the sacredness of walking sanctuaries and praying. I've walked this one. I've walked New Hope. I've walked so many churches around the community as I'm in a sanctuary just praying. I've prayed with the family as they took their loved one off life support and held hands in a circle and sang Amazing Grace and prayed as they transitioned from life. I've experienced prayer in such a variety of ways. To know that prayer doesn't look like one particular thing. It isn't limited to one structure or form. And it's more like having God on a constant Zoom call. Everybody loves Zoom now? Or are you just tired of Zoom? There's times, that, there's times you can get tired of Zoom. But what would it be like if you knew that God was constantly in the space? God was constantly in the room. God was constantly there to hear what you were saying, what you were thinking, and, and, and being present with you to give you comfort and peace. The truth is, in prayer, God already knows the things that we might say, but in prayer, we get to know God better. God is, has always longed for us, searched for us, literally died for us. God hopes that we will respond to God's longing and searching and self-sacrifice. And the truth is, as we experience or practice a prayer-filled life, the contemplative tradition as it is, we experience the tender love and mercy of God in those moments. That's what the contemplative tradition is. That's what prayer really is. It's inviting us to experience God's love even more. But what does prayer look like? What does your prayer life look like? Maybe that's what I'm inviting you to think about today. Do you have a prayer life? What does it look like? Is it tossed in in those foxhole moments or whenever you really need something? Is it like put a coin in the machine and hope that God's going to give you the right token that comes out? Is God like that genie that you just push the button and hope or shake the magic eight ball and hope that the right response comes up? Jesus, when we look at this particular prayer, this is the prayer as Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. This is the prayer that Jesus takes the disciples to the garden and he's, he's weeping, he's in lament, he's in anguish in the moment and he's crying out to God, God, take this cup from me. I don't want to go to the cross. And he's invited the disciples into that space and pray with me. Support me in this prayer time. I, I need this support. This is Jesus who is doing this kind of prayer. It's okay to pray in anguish. It's okay to pray to celebrate. It's okay to, to express anything in that space of sacredness in relationship with God. But here's Jesus asking for something, and guess what? God says, nope, I'm not taking the cup away from you. How many of you have ever had 
had it feel like God didn't answer your prayer. I sometimes wonder, what if God had said, okay, Jesus, I, I love you, but you don't have to do this. What would have happened? Where would that leave me? You. Sometimes we don't get the answers to the prayers the way we want them. And yet God does know what is best for God's children. Sometimes we have to trust that and believe that. Even though God doesn't remove a cup or God doesn't grant a cup, or God doesn't provide the way that we think that we deserve or want or need, we have to hear and understand that God is in the midst of whatever the circumstance, and God is the one who just is waiting, lovingly abiding there for us to enter into the space of prayer where literally we can, in the moment, our soul can rise out of the vanity of time and into the riches of eternity. There's a lot of people who've prayed throughout history. Um, let me give you some wisdom from some of them. Um, Julian of Norwich, she was from the 14th century. She was a mystic, and she prayed for some stuff that I don't think I'd ever pray for. She prayed to deeply understand the passion of Christ, which, by the way, she received a sickness that put her on the deathbed. She received final unction that she was going to die, horrible and painful, and yet she was thankful for that so that she could understand how much God had to love her by allowing his son to experience that. She received bodily wounds, and in her experience, she said that helped her know God more, and she continued to pray in the, for the goodness of God even though it might bring affliction. George Buttrick, uh, born in 1892, he says that, we, that prayer needs a regimen. We need a regimen of private prayer is what he says. He says prayer is about friendship with God, but it's not formal. It's not formal, but it's also not formless. I think that makes sense. That prayer doesn't have to be formal, but it also can't be formless. He says it requires cultivation. I've experienced that. If I don't cultivate prayer, I don't know how to pray. I'm uncomfortable in prayer. Uh, then, then how do I pray? I have to cultivate it. I have to take time with it, just like that long division or deciding I'm going to taste the tomato a few years later. It requires behavior and obligation and discipline to be able to pray. It cannot just simply be casual. Henry Nouwen says this one. I, I particularly like his insight. He was born in 1932. He says, prayer invites us into solitude that can create an open, empty space in our hearts for God to work. It's a solitude and a silence. He says that prayer is a twofold gift, a twofold, excuse me, twofold work of the Spirit. It's a gift. Why is it a gift? It's a gift because God's just waiting. How many of you um, could make an appointment with uh, any president or local leader or the pope or otherwise, and not just in that particular day, but on that particular moment that you want to speak with them, they'd say, sure, come on in. You understand, this is a gift. God, the God of the universe says, anytime, I am here. I hear you. I know you. I love you. 
that's a gift. Henry Nouwen says it's a gift, but he also says it's hard work. It's hard work because it requires that we get out of ourselves. It requires that we step away from the things that we think are important to something that is eternally important. It, in, it requires a shift of our heart and of our mind. It's hard work. He says, prayer prevents the world from filling our lives so that we can listen. Prayer gets in the way of the world. That's a good way to think of it, rather than the world getting in the way of prayer, which I think tends to happen more. But here's a problem that he points out that I think is valuable. He said, in this solitude, this place of prayer, this solitude creates a space for God, but it removes our distractions forcing us to deal with our inner chaos. Here's an honest confession. Anybody struggle with inner chaos on occasion? Yeah. I've had people tell me, I can't pray, because as soon as I start, to, my brain starts thinking about all the things I need to do, or my brain starts bouncing off the things that didn't happen, or the things that people said, or the things that I'm angry about, or all these other things that are going on in my head. It's this inner chaos. You know what? I think he's right. A lot of people don't pray because they don't want to have to even face that inner chaos. We do everything we can to distract ourselves from that inner chaos. And yet he says that this space of solitude and connection with God, in intentionally giving God that space is vitally important. That's the hard work. Because then when we face our inner chaos with God, we begin to experience a peace that goes beyond understanding. We begin to piece by piece let go of those things that hold on to our mind and to our spirit. We get to continually let go of the things that consume us, again, allowing us, our spirits, to let go. Um, I'm going to go back to this one. To rise out of the soul, rise out, uh, prayer is rising out of the soul the vanity of time to the riches of eternity. As we face our inner chaos, we continue to get closer and closer, rising out of the vanity of time and into the riches of eternity. John Bailey, who was, again, the, the person who offered the prayer this morning, he said, um, prayer is deep, intimate conversation with God, constant prayer, and in his prayer life, he said, my goal is to seek to be more like Christ. Richard Foster, who wrote the book um, Celebration of Discipline, the first book I read on spiritual disciplines, learning how to, to fast, how to pray, how, what worship was all about, the internal and external kinds of spiritual disciplines. He says this about prayer, and I think this makes perfect sense. He says, prayer is like an automobile. You don't have to understand everything about its inner workings for you to get somewhere. I have found, he says, that if we simply pray, even if we pray in wrong ways, God is pleased with our feeble efforts and Jesus lovingly guides us into more excellent ways. I don't know about you, but when I was in high school, my dad taught me how to work on cars. I could go out and you know, fix things or replace things or otherwise. And nowadays, if you open one of these new models of things, I don't think I'd even have a, a where, to, where in the heck do you start with those things? You have to have the right electrical gadget to understand what's wrong with, for the car to tell you what's wrong with it. I, don't, I wouldn't know how to do that. But I can still get in a car and drive, and it's going to get me somewhere. 
See, you don't have to understand how prayer works. You don't have to have all the right methodologies or the process to get it all figured out. You can still pray and benefit from it. You can still pray and get something from it. The real trick is, are we willing to put in the effort? Are we willing to practice? And the truth is, what you get out of prayer, the things you get from prayer are limitless. We see in the Bible how people receive strength and wisdom, compassion, peace, understanding, hope, trust. They experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. They abide in the presence of God. And the truth is, God meets us in prayer and provides whatever we need. Maybe not what we want, but what we need. My question to you this week is, it's the first week of Lent. I'm going to invite you to, to think about it and to be challenged by it. Take some time to think about how you've experienced prayer. What you think prayer is. Join us on Wednesday night. We're going to have some food and small group discussion on prayer. Encourage one another, looking for ways that maybe we can try differently. Here's a couple challenges for this week. Maybe take five or ten minutes each day for prayer and silence. Allow the inner chaos if that's what you have to do. Set a, a timer, five minutes because God is just waiting. Take some time to, to find a prayer that you really like uh, or, or the Lord's Prayer and just repeat that. Repeat that. Repeat that. Repeat that for five minutes, ten minutes. And let the words sink in. Write your own personalized prayer. Take some time to think about the things on your heart or on your mind uh, or life in general and write it as, a, as if you're writing to God. There's prayer beads out there on the table. We've talked about prayer beads in the past. And prayer beads, there's a long tradition where it's just tactile and ways for you to walk through and stay focused while you pray. Or you can use the acronyms like ACTS. And I've taught about that before. Adore God, confess sin, give thanks, and supplication where you ask for things. Use tools, whatever it takes. But brothers and sisters, It's Lent, number one. It's a time where we should be thinking about ways that we can grow our spiritual life. I challenge you to think about what you will do to engage, actively engage your prayer life this week. Would you pray with me? Holy and mighty God, we give you thanks for what you've taught us and what we have seen in prayer. We pray for your wisdom, your discernment. We pray that you would give us the courage that we need to be able to take that step in prayer. Lord, we pray that you would help us to support one another as we make those steps and those changes. And we pray it in your holy name. Amen.